You are now listening to the Unstucked Podcast, where we teach you actionable steps to get unstuck in your life, career, finances, and business. Here's your host, Khalil Dumas. What's going on, Unstucked fam? If you're loving the podcast, be sure to visit unstuck.com for more resources, ways to work one-on-one with me and my company, Unstucked, as well as our free Unstucked guide to help you get unstuck in your career, life, finances, and business. Some exciting news, we have launched our budgeting course, which will be a free course for the next week, where I will sit down with you and walk you through our custom budget that will be free to download on our website. The link will be below. I'm so happy you're here for the ride. And now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Unstuck Podcast. I'm your host, Khalil Dumas. Today, I'm joined by my friend, Giovanna, or many of you know her as Gigi. Gigi is a first-generation American and first-generation wealth builder. As a former investment professional turned financial educator, she quit her corporate job to pursue her true passion, teaching financial education to young adults. She teaches financial literacy and career readiness at universities and employee resource groups and on her TikTok account, The First Gen Mentor. Gigi's also been featured in the New York Times, Business Insider, among many other publications. Hey, Giovanna. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. I am so stoked to have you on. I've been following you for what feels like forever. You give so many great personal finance tips. I'll like look at my phone. I'll go through one of your stories and be like, oh, she's right. I got to go do this. Or, oh man, I've been telling myself I'm going to be budgeting. I got to go do this. So I really appreciate all of the knowledge and encouragement you give everyone every single day. Thank you so much. I love doing it. Fantastic. So let's jump straight into it. What's your story? How and why did you create the First Gen Mentor? Yeah, so it's actually a pretty fun origin story. Professionally, you know, I've been on the traditional track, getting a nine to five, saving for retirement, nothing special. That all kind of changed in March of 2020 when I downloaded TikTok. So I downloaded TikTok for fun, kind of as a distraction from the pandemic, never really intending to make a platform out of it. But in March of 2021, I came across a video that really inspired me to be a content creator. It was a video of a very privileged young white woman who was in law school, and she was bragging in the video about how easy law school was for her because both her parents were attorneys, and if she ever got stuck with any homework, she could just give them a phone call and they'd walk her through the homework. And I just thought it was very distasteful, especially for the times that we're living in with the pandemic and students still kind of struggling with everything being taken away from them. I was just going to go on with my day, you know, just seeing another video I didn't like on TikTok. But uh, I kind of paused and I thought, you know what, if this video irked me and I'm not even in the thick of going through school, how would somebody who is in the middle of going through school and being first gen and dealing with all this, how would they feel seeing something like this? So I made a stitch. If anybody is familiar with TikTok, a stitch is like a video response. On the stitch, I just said, hey, if you're first gen and you saw that video, don't feel like you're less than or unworthy because you don't happen to have college-educated parents. Like, sure, our journey is a little bit different. It's a little bit more challenging, but you're smart, you're resilient, you'll get there. Like, you got this. And I put it out. I think I had like 4,000 followers at the time. It was just random people that were following me. It wasn't anything special. I got a bunch of comments of people just saying like, wow, thanks for saying this. I saw that video earlier and I definitely like didn't feel good after watching it. And I've had a tough week at school and it didn't help. You know, thank you for saying this. I needed this. It's been a hard semester. So for me, that was kind of like my little 
light bulb moment of instead of just being on the app and you know, mindlessly scrolling and consuming, I could actually contribute to the platform in a positive way. And the way that I could do that was through personal finance because I was already a financial educator on a volunteer basis at the YWCA and through career advice because I was already mentoring first-gen students at my alma mater. So it was already stuff I was doing my free time. And then I'm like, why not just put these tips that I'm, you know, putting out to my community on the internet to reach more people and that's how it all started. I never in a million years thought it would be what it is now, but it's, it's yeah, it's kind of crazy to think that that's how it all came about. That's such an awesome story. And I like captivated, like, I feel like I'm already listening to the episode. It's not even out yet. And I'm already learning things. <laughs> and like right off the bat, right, you just talked about something that's really important, which is the importance of sharing your story, especially being a person of color as I am as well it really can get you in a space, right, of kind of feeling alone. Like, why would I share this? Are there even people out there that are like me that are going to want this information, right? And right away, like your audience was waiting for you. And that's the power of TikTok. I wish I wouldn't have waited till 2021 to get on TikTok. I wish I would have been like you and been like, you know what? I'm going to share this because that was a bad take, right? Like, I wish I would have stitched some videos as well. (laughs) But you made so many great points. That's what's great about TikTok, the discoverability, right? That your people will find you because this algorithm, man, is something else. It, Your people will find you through TikTok. It's quite insane. Absolutely. And I couldn't relate more to you in that sense of, you know, sitting by on the sidelines. Like, we're already kind of doing this work. Amplifying it is just that much easier now in a digital space. And so now that you're in the conversation, now that you're published in the New York Times, like, big time, like, I'm just dusting my shoulder off real quick. Now that you're in it, And you're starting to also, right, you're a money coach and you're really helping first gen men and women really understand their financial picture and as well as like their goals. What are some of the principles that you teach and what are some of the things maybe some of your clients struggle with? Yeah, I think a lot of my money coaching clients come to me to know how to get started investing. That's the number one thing. They're like, I've heard of this investing thing. I know I should be doing it. I just don't know how, you know, so coaching them through the steps that it takes to opening an investment account, how to contribute to it. And then I always tell them, you know, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not a financial planner, so I can't tell you what to invest in, but I give them a little education on the different investment options available to them. But yeah, other than that, I think a lot of clients also focus with budgeting. You know, that's not something that people teach us, you know, so budgeting and meeting financial goals is, is I think, what most people need help with. Absolutely. And that's so critical and key. And I'm in the same boat as you, right? I actually used to work for a bank and an investment group. And I came to this, I had this epiphany where everyone walking in my office and just for transparency was white and a multimillionaire. And they were writing it out till retirement. And I had this moment when I was sitting at my desk making $32,000 a year. It's like, why am I helping rich and the elite get more rich and more elite? When I have people that come to me every single day who are just wanting to get started, and you said something really critical, right, is like they've heard of investing or they've heard of budgeting. And a little quick plug here, I'll be releasing a budgeting course on May 9th that will really help and it'll be free as well. But to your point, right, like there's advisors that kind of just do what needs to be done. The coaching aspect is so important because the people you're meeting with might have the knowledge. They might kind of know what to do. It's priceless to have someone like yourself be there and walking them through it. And that's something that I always tell my clients personally is, I'm not telling you you don't know these things. I'm sure you are well aware. But having someone there like yourself that can guide and be a sounding board is critical. 
as you're working with your different clients in the personal finance space, are there any things that you've noticed that clients kind of misunderstand? Or do you see like, what's holding some of your clients back? I'm just trying to get an understanding of kind of like, what's holding some of these folks back from getting started? I honestly think it's education. You know, any sort of education that is out there for them doesn't speak to them. So they see it and they're like, well, this isn't for me. Even though the resources are there, right? Either on YouTube or podcasts or whatever. If they don't see themselves in the educator, they don't identify with it. So that's why I'm very proud of the work that I do because, you know, on top of teaching the basics, a high yield savings account, an IRA, all the good stuff, right? I talk about the unique issues that affect our community, the first-gen community. So saving for our parents' retirement, setting financial boundaries with family, factoring in financial support for our family in our budget. These are all things you won't find in your average personal finance book. And I know this because I've read over 50 of them. And I was looking for that, and, and that was not there, you know? So, and I've been told that by my audience, like, Thanks to you, like now I understand this stuff or now I care about this stuff. And I do think that it has a lot to do with seeing like a brown girl with big curly hair, you know, as opposed to a white man from Vanguard talking about this stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't relate more, you know, even when I worked in the finance space, it didn't really like click until I met Tori. While she doesn't look like me, she was someone that spoke my language, right? She understood kind of some of the pain points that I had. I never really had parents that were sitting down with me and teaching me the importance of budgeting and the flow of money. And as my parents got older, they started to understand it. And I find myself now teaching my parents, like a lot of first-gen folks do, you know, teaching their parents how to do these different items. So as a newbie, right, if I'm someone that's coming to you and I'm relatively new, right, if I'm wanting to get started in budgeting or savings and investing, like, let's start with budgeting. Like, what should I do first? Like, what do you recommend? How do I get started with my budget? Yeah, um, I always tell people it starts with the why, right? Because, you know, you can create the best budget in the world, but if you don't have your why clear, you're not going to be able to stick to your budget. Something about me that's a real fun fact is I saved 14 months of my living expenses because I was planning to quit my job and travel the world. I just had this big dream of traveling extensively while I was young. I didn't want to wait till I was retired and, you know, possibly have these ailments and whatnot. So that why kept me real strong. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, I would question, okay, if I go shopping, is this going to bring me closer or further away from my dream of traveling the world? I always had that present, you know, so everybody's why is different. Some people have no interest in traveling the world, right? But maybe they want to save for, you know, their first home or retire their parents or pay off their, you know, student loans after two years as opposed to a 10-year schedule, right? Whatever their motivator is. So starting with the why and then secondly, figuring out the net worth, right? So starting out with how much you owe, how much you own, and then creating a budget from there. Yeah, that's such an important conversation and one that I personally didn't have for a while. I wish I would have had it a lot earlier. And anyone listening to this, I want this to be a motivator, right? What Gigi said is spot on. Like having your why is critical. I found my why and all of a sudden I've been able to catapult myself forward. So take it from someone that felt behind. I now am like, sometimes I sit down and I'm like, wow, you can come so far to your point in two years if you really have a why and you have a plan. Now, I'm sure you've learned a lot, like, and just from being in the digital space and working one-on-one, I was watching your story the other day and I started to see some uh, books around how to write a book. Do you have any plans to, to write a book anytime soon? 
you know, what's funny is I actually wanted to write a personal finance book for first gen before I even had my platform because I was already, you know, very interested in personal finance as a volunteer financial educator in my community. So I started reading on, you know, how to write a book. I think this idea came to me in December 2020. So I started doing some Google searches on how to write a book, how to sell the book. One of the YouTube videos that I saw, I was like, well, if you want to sell a book, you need to start building community because otherwise, who are you going to sell the book to besides like your best friend and your parents, right? You need to have- <laughs> Yes, such a great point. Yeah, you know, and like I said, this was before I had my platform. The only social media I had was just for fun, you know, for personal use. So I remember seeing that and being like, oh, well, I guess I, I should do that. But I'm like, oh, I'll just focus on writing and I'll, you know, build an Instagram account. TikTok was not even in my purview. I thought I'll, you know, open an Instagram account later down the line. Three months later was when I came across that video that kind of sparked my interest in being a content creator. That kind of just worked out. You know, I saw the opportunity to like, oh, well, I wanted to put this information out. I did think, oh, I wanted to write the book and I'm supposed to build a platform. But honestly, with, you know, the craziness that has been TikTok and the opportunities that have come along, I haven't had a chance to get back to it. Although my audience knows, I've shared with them this dream that I have of writing a book. And every time I'm on live, they ask me, how's the book coming along? Do you have any update? When is it going to be released? And it's so embarrassing that every time they ask, I'm like, guys, there's no update. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I've just, I promise, like, I'm not lazy. I'm just working on a bunch of other things. But yeah, so if you saw my story recently, I recommitted to that goal. Thankfully, I'm at a place in my business where I can pause some of the projects that I've been working on and just focus my time on that. I was trying to do it all. You know, I, I'm an influencer. I'm a teacher. I, I speak at these uh, organizations and then I do money coaching and I wanted to do the book. I have a course in the works and I've just found that I, I need to scale back. So, so yeah, starting June of this year, I'll be dedicating a lot more time to the book writing process. Well, that's so fantastic. And I'll definitely be there holding you accountable. And it sounds like, right, your community even has become your accountability buddy. And that's something that I even feel with my own things. Like I'll mention something in a video and forget about it. Honestly, I'll forget about it. And it'll come back in my comments. Just like one person at 930 at night. And I'll just be like, oh, maybe I should put that back on my vision board. Like maybe I should actually commit. So I'm so happy that you're doing that. And to your point, I know my mom listens to this podcast often. She's an immigrant herself. And I know that that first gen space, we need more folks like you in that space. You're inspiring me to strike up my own book as well. So right, your motivation just keeps going. And you started to mention it a little bit. And this is kind of the big pillar of the Unstuck platform, right, is teaching people how to maintain their momentum, but also, right, how to balance their soul, life, business, finance, everything that you have going on. And you said something really important, right? You had to scale back so that you could prioritize things that you really wanted to do. What are some other things that you do to allow yourself to balance everything? Because I see you, you're busy. Like, how do you stay sane? I know sometimes we, maybe we can't do that, but like, what are some of the things you do to, to stay balanced? It's something that I've struggled as a new solopreneur, to be honest, because, you know, everybody's heard the expression, do a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life. That's a goddamn lie. I it's love what I do. It's, it's such a lie. It's the biggest, I swear, it's the biggest capitalist lie you'll ever be told because I absolutely love what I do. And it still is work and it still tires me out. What is hard about loving what you do is sometimes there's no boundaries because you want to keep going because you just are in your zone of genius. 
So I've had to learn that those boundaries still need to exist, you know? So if it's eight o'clock and I'm still going and doing these emails and whatever else I'm working on, I just have to tell myself, it's eight o'clock. You wouldn't still be working till eight o'clock at Northern Trust. So why are you still going to do it now, you know? And sometimes you have to, to, you know, get some projects across the line or whatnot. The other thing that I've had to learn on is to listen to my body. You know, sometimes there's just days where I have a big to-do list, but my body's like, not today. (laughs) (laughs) Even though my mind, you know, is running with all the things I have to get done. I'm just, there's nothing there, you know, and I've learned that you can't pour out of an empty cup and it still gets hard, you know, just to be in bed recharging, knowing I want to do more, but I know that it'll make me stronger and I'll be able to be, you know, really show for my community and for what I'm trying to do the next day if I just take that day off, you know? So it's it's been a challenge, to be honest. Yeah, it, it really is. And I suffer with the same things. I've been lucky and been a part of startups and been in this solopreneur world kind of in and out. I've kind of had the privilege like I do today of having a nine to five and having a business to be able to kind of teeter back and forth, right? But to your point, I love both. And sometimes I struggle like you struggle to keep those boundaries. I oftentimes tell clients like, I know we all love our crime shows. I know we all watch our cop and police shows and we love that stuff. Think about that lead detective, right? That's super motivated to do whatever it is, right? To break that case open. I compare that a lot to building a business where usually your worst enemy is yourself. Everyone around you can see it too. Like we're watching the show. Everyone can see us, right? Everyone can see us doing our thing, but everyone also can see us a little bit out of balance sometimes. And so you said something so critical, which is having that balance, not only between your mind, but also your body. And I smiled when you mentioned like some of those days where you're just like, you're ready to go, but your body's like, no, 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 you're not there. And I've heard this countless amount of times from other solo openers that have come onto the show. So I really appreciate you leaning into that because I personally felt so comforted by you just saying that because I feel the same way. And sometimes I feel like, am I the only one going through this? Like, and I know I'm not, I know I'm not. But sometimes, you know, when it's late at night, I convince myself like, you know, keep going when in actuality, the best thing you can do is just take a pause and take a break. Yeah, no, of course. The other thing that I want to add is a lot of that is having to unlearn the nine to five, right? So when this happened to me, it was a Thursday. So it's a Thursday at like 10 a.m. And I'm like, I need to be working. It's Thursday at 10 a.m. But says who, right? We get to make our own rules as entrepreneurs now. So if you got to rest at 10 a.m. on a Thursday, that's just what you got to do, you know? So I have to remind myself that this is my old identity telling me I have to be productive at a certain time. It's really when I have the energy to be productive. Absolutely. And that's key. Have you found anything to work to kind of start to unlearn some of those things? You know, personally, I have a to-do list of 15 to 20 minute tasks. And I usually have about 20 on there. And I like to add in new habits that I want to learn. Like, for example, learning that like, I don't need to work 12 hours a day. I need to take a break to do these certain things. Like, have you found something that works to kind of start to reprogram that nine to five brain? Yeah, well, I actually was in a business coaching program for about seven months, and I'm so happy that I made that investment. So my business coach, shout out Dr. Titi, that was from, I think, August of last year to it just ended March of this year. So yeah, seven or eight months or something. Yeah, I mean, she's somebody that, yeah, went from corporate to online entrepreneur, and um, she was my guide along the way, because otherwise it would have been a lot harder. Mm, Yeah. Having that person in your corner is key. And I have accountability buddies. I have business coaches. Shout out Tori. Shout out Gabby. Like to just keep me grounded and keep me going. I really appreciate that take. As you look at yourself today, right? Like you've come so far. And I know sometimes it's like really hard to see that, like, because we're just like looking toward the next thing. So I'm going to entertain you a little bit. I'm going to help you look toward the next thing. 
aside from the book, like, what do you have for yourself? Like, what are some of the goals that you see now for your platform now that you have this audience? Yeah. So that's funny that you ask, you know, because I had to be reflective of that last week when I set this new business goal to now pivot to writing. So I I saw what that looked like. I'm like, well, what else? Right. So, I mean, I want to be the go-to person for all things first gen and money. With me being a Latina, that also, you know, I, I have a, my place, right, in the Latinx community. I, like I said, the go-to person, whether the press or TV or the White House, why the heck not, right? If they need somebody to, to speak on, on anything first-gen, even first-gen college, but yeah, first-gen career, first-gen money, I want to be the person that comes to mind. You know, regarding my book, I see it as one of many because on my TikTok platform, and not only do I teach money, but I also teach career advice. So that's why my name's the first gen mentor and not the first gen money mentor, because it was important for me to still have a component where I teach career advice because there was so much that I struggled with as a first gen professional in these white corporate spaces. So yeah, the first book would be first gen money, the second first gen career. And then the third is first-gen entrepreneurship, which that one I am not an expert in because I'm still in the thick of it. But I'm hoping that, you know, down the line, I'll have some lessons to share with everybody about first-gen entrepreneurship. That's amazing. And I'm going to continue to be a beacon to make sure that you get there. I'll be tapping your shoulder like your community does as well. (laughs) Thank you. We talked about, right, you're moving on from this nine-to-five world. But as you move on and as I also, like, move on to business as well— we're still hampered by this great resignation that's occurring. And I still feel we're at the very beginnings of like the media's kind of started its cycle, I think really early, but I'm starting to see, right, that that's starting to pick up. I wanted to get your take on it because I know you have a very interesting perspective on it. Like we kind of know what's caused the great resignation, but I want to hear from you what you think's caused the great resignation. And is there a way out? And is there a reality where people of color come out on top after this great resignation? Totally. To your last point, I'm living proof that as a woman of color, this is the most successful, both professionally and financially, that I've been because of the Great Resignation. And I always say that I'm thankful for the Great Resignation because I'm like, had it not been for this movement, I would have never left corporate because I was at a job that I liked, you know, and I had worked very hard to get into where I was. Uh, and I had finally cracked the code to what it was going to take to you know, go up the ladder. I was on the up and up with management. I was involved with very interesting projects, but it was because I saw a movement of people reevaluating, you know, their work life and whether what they were doing was in alignment with their long-term goals and their values that I felt empowered to do the same for myself. I understand entrepreneurship is not for everybody. I had no ambitions to be an entrepreneur before it actually happened to me. So I'd never even read a business book in my life or listened to, you know, an entrepreneur podcast ever. So when you mentioned, right, the opportunities of the Great Resignation, how it inspired and motivated you to continue to push yourself in the direction that you want to go, right? Because I feel like the nine to five molds you in the direction the company wants to go, right? Which is not going to necessarily benefit you. What are your secrets to career pivoting? Whether that's to a new nine to five job or to solopreneurship, were there certain things that maybe you did right or even wrong in that career pivot that you've learned from and teach now? Oh my God, this can be like a whole episode on itself. I'm Um, listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, I've pivoted twice. So I pivoted once when I went from insurance. I used to be a claims adjuster at Progressive Insurance, totally not using my econ degree. It was just kind of a job that, you know, fell into my lap. 
I took it only thinking I would do it one year. One year quickly turned to three and a half years. And I'm like, what is we doing? Like, I need to, you know, put this econ degree to use. Why did I get myself into debt if I'm not even going to be using this degree? And I didn't feel professionally fulfilled, you know. So uh, my first pivot was when I left my job as a claims adjuster to move into investment management. To do that, you know, that was tough because three and a half, four years after graduating, I had to switch to a new industry, which at the time meant I had to take a pay cut to switch to a new industry, right? Looking back, I probably should have tried harder to find jobs where I would be kept at a similar kind of pay, but I was just so desperate to get out and start my new career that I took, I think it was like an $8,000 pay cut. When you're entry level, that's, you know, making 50 grand, that's that's a big difference, you know, 10% of pay cut or whatever that is. It was tough. You know, I spent about seven years in investment management when I decided to quit it to be a TikTok influencer slash financial educator. What I did right with that this time around was that I left on a positive note. You know, I gave my job a one month notice They tried keeping me. They tried to offer me part-time work. They tried to offer me a leave of absence. And I'm like, I just got to go and I got to do this thing for me. The other thing I did right is I had the funds, right? I was a little older and I had learned about personal finance. My student debt was paid off. So I had the financial means to take a pivot and to not have a steady income, right? Because I had quit my nine to five. Things I did wrong is I probably should have done more learning on what it meant to be an entrepreneur. Because like I said, I just had no ambitions to do it. The reason I quit, I don't think we talked about that earlier, is because my office had announced a return to office plan. I kind of was like, oh, okay, so we have to go back to the office. And that means I'm going to have less time to do my TikTok and all the cool things that I'm working on. And it is what it is. And it was actually my my partner, my husband, who's like, hold on, like, you're doing great. Like, you should actually explore and see where this takes you. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like, this is just like a fun hobby. Like, this is, you know, I have my career. Like, Shout out all the supportive partners out there. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, I'm so thankful for him and he knows it. He's always like, don't forget, I, I'm the one that pushed you. And I'm like, I know. I, he always wants his credit. So it's important to give David his credit. We gave, we gave him his credit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the second person I needed credit to is my best friend who, you know, she's my best friend. She actually told me too. She said, hey, Giovanna, would you consider using your sabbatical fund? Because remember I told you I was saving to quit my job and travel. She said, would you consider using that money that you used to travel to start the first gen mentor as a business to see what that could look like? I said, hell no. Are you crazy? Like, this is something I've been working towards for two and a half years. Like, and you're saying to use it to work more as an entrepreneur? Are you? I'm like, no, 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 no. The third person that actually changed my mind was my friend Chava. Shout out to Chava. He already knows I credit him every time too. So Chava was my college friend. We hadn't spoken in like 10 years. That's the crazy part. You know, we stayed in touch through Facebook or whatnot. Somehow it came up, right, that I was in this fork in the road and like maybe possibly quitting, but probably not to stay at like my stable job. And he's the one that's like, you know what? Let's get on the phone. Like, we need to talk about this. I'm like, all right. (laughs) So we talked about it for an hour, which again, it's wild because we hadn't talked in 10 years. And he just said, Giovanna, like, you got to take the risk. He's like, you've done everything like the right and safe way. Like you went to college, you got a stable job that you didn't really like, but you know, it paid the bills, you paid off your student debt. Like 
take a risk. Like you have an opportunity here and it's something that you're naturally good at. Why wouldn't you explore it? He's like, this is what white people do. He's like, white people have, you know, generational wealth and they're able to kind of explore entrepreneurship. You've built that for yourself by having this cushion. Sure, it was for something else. It was to travel, but like you have the means, like take the risk. And I remember crying because it was like a big breakthrough moment. And and yeah, decided that, all right, I'm gonna take a chance for once in my life and see if this works out. And thankfully it's it's been good so far. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And you touched on so many things that are just fantastic in that whole experience. And I really gravitated toward right this systematic oppression that we feel. I always give the analogy, right? Where you know, people of color feel like they're trying to stretch and grow, but they're in this box and they can't get out of this box. And some people go crazy in that box. And you've, I think, subconsciously not realized you're really good at like taking a step back and like doing other things. And I think in some of those distractions, like right, starting the first gen mentor, you like find those ideas that will launch a business. And I always preach that. Like if you're feeling stuck, definitely step outside of the box, allow yourself to get distracted, take some risks, try some new things. Don't be reckless. Obviously we're not reckless people, but take that time to experience your friends spot on, right? I come from, I'm actually from Oakland, but I went to a private school in Palo Alto. So I was around the 1%, you know, the people showing up to my high school, you know, their parents are running the world. So, you know, after college, a lot of these people aren't going straight into jobs. You see them right on Instagram for a year traveling around, or you see them launching businesses or getting into venture capitalist funds, right? They're taking those calculated risks because they're allowed to, because a lot of them are given that boat. And now with my kids, right? I have that as a goal to give them a certain amount of money when they're 21 so they can go and explore and not be put into this box. And what I wanted to get to and get into maybe some of the granular details and talk to you about, which is where I think every single one of my clients have struggled, people who come to me on TikTok, starting and getting that emergency fund, getting your debt paid off. Like, How do you stay consistent trying to save certain amounts, invest certain amounts? Is there something that you do to make sure that you're hitting your goals so you have that nest egg? It might change later down the road, like you just mentioned, right? It might change from the travel fund to start your business fund. But the point is you had that fund. How did you build that fund so quickly? So the biggest change that I made to achieve this goal of saving a bunch of money to travel was I moved out of state which, you know, it's an unpopular response, but it's realistic and it's what worked for me, you know? So I lived in San Diego, specifically in Encinitas. Um, everybody that's been to San Diego, they know it's beautiful, right? It's paradise. I love La Jolla is like the place I want to retire in. And I also did what you did. I actually moved from the Bay to Portland, Oregon for the same exact reason. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, so I moved to Phoenix, not as nice as Portland, <laughs> but I moved to Phoenix to save some coins You know, everybody at the time was like, why on earth would you leave paradise to go to, sorry if any Phoenix listeners are listening, but they're like, to nasty Phoenix. Like, you know, when you come from San Diego, it's it's a downgrade. I'm sorry, it is. And I said, it's strategic and it's not forever. You know, I really want to hit some financial goals because yeah, when we were in San Diego, we didn't have any emergency fund. We were living paycheck to paycheck. We were like median income earners, you know, so not not high income earners, but not low earners either. So that was the number one thing that really created that space, right, to make significant progress towards paying off debt, towards uh, increasing those cash reserves. And then uh, back to the why, not only did I get clear on, okay, I want to save this money to travel, but <laughs> I bought this huge map from Amazon. It was like humongous. And I plastered it on my wall in my living room. So I saw it every day. So a lot of people talk about vision boards and manifesting. 
that's essentially what a vision board is, right? Something that you see all the time because it just reminds you of what you want and it subconsciously tells you you need to be working towards that because this is something you told yourself is important to you. So I credit that having that big map in front of me in my living room and seeing it every day to keeping me motivated because there's nothing fun about paying off debt. That's the hardest part. Like you said, how do you stay consistent? It's it's hard. So if you have that goal and then you kind of have that push and you can keep that momentum going. Once you pay off your debt and you see that it's just saving and stacking and it's money for you and not to the creditors, ooh, it's a game changer, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I have a lot to share there. And I wanted to circle the vision board because that's literally something I journaled about today. I have a vision board that's like two, three years old and I can't tell you how different my aspirations are. And I actually am going right after this episode to the store to pick up everything. So thank you for that tap on the shoulder. But you mentioned it in your move, and it's something that you hear and are going to continue to hear as special solopreneurs, right? When you tell your reality to a lot of people, they rehearse tragedy the moment you hear it. They're going to tell you the worst case scenario, right? Because that's what they're thinking, right? They don't talk about how you, Gigi, just put it so wonderfully, right? Those nuances. Yeah, I'm foregoing this for a year or two for this bigger dream that will last me a lifetime. People aren't quick to give that answer back to the rehearsed tragedy. A lot of the time, it's oh crap, you're right. I start to get anxiety. I forget my plan. That's why that vision boarding process is so important. That's why budgeting is important. And I wanted to make a note about budgeting. So when I first started budgeting, I was making $500 a week at Nike. I worked for Nike at their world headquarters. Most people would go, holy crap, you worked for Nike? Um, Nike doesn't pay well because there's 20,000 people for any given position, right? There's a ton of applications there. And when I did my first budgeting template, I actually learned that it was costing me money to work for Nike because I wouldn't be able to do everything. I couldn't pay my debt off. I couldn't pay all my bills. I, I couldn't do all this stuff. So I remember when I was looking at this sheet, I went to my fiance at the time and she's my wife now. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I have to go do something else. This is costing me money to stay here. And it was that really stark reality. I had a new job the next week. That job actually led to me joining into a startup where I was able to get equity and able to change my life. But like those small moments are so important. So I wanted to circle that, but also talk about some of the things you mentioned, which is just making sure that you're aligning with the life that you want and steadfast in it. And I think a lot of people are too quick to waver in that career pivot, in that newfound life that they really want. So just wanted to really circle those areas because I can't believe how many like similarities we have when trying to like break out of this. And I know there's a lot of people that are just waiting at that forefront are going to listen to this episode and finally take action. Yeah, and I'd like to add for anybody that's like, oh, like I don't want to move to Phoenix or uproot my life. It's not going to work for everybody because, you know, not everybody can move, you know, if you have family responsibilities, right? And you can't leave LA or whatever the area is, or if your job doesn't exist in another part of the country, I understand that. But for us, we were in Phoenix two and a half years and we're in Chicago now and loving life, you know? So, and we actually have the financial means now to go back to San Diego and we didn't want to. We chose not to and instead we're in Chicago, you know? So it was a short-term sacrifice and I would do it all over again. It was very worth it. Absolutely. And on brand here, just taking a little pivot here. So when you're feeling stuck, right? I know you have a lot going on. I know I've gotten a lot better with when I'm feeling stuck, like getting myself going again. What are some of the things that you do when you're feeling stuck or you're feeling a little bit in a rut or that day you wake up and right, you're like, oh, I want to work, but I can't. What are some of the things you do that work for you? I always 
always go to my family because they just help me forget about everything going on, especially my grandma, because she would just ramble about something with my tias or just other random stuff, you know, so <laughs> so work just doesn't matter, you know, or I anything that. that I'm working. And it's, it's good, you know, because then I make space to talk to them too. So I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll call her or I'll call my dad and my dad's hilarious and he'll crack me up. And then I just feel recharged, right, from that connection with my family. And then I'm able to kind of go back to what I was doing before. But I would say, yeah, connecting with family, watching like a good classic rom-com, honestly. Like just a a movie that I've seen like 20 times and I already know the storyline, but it's just like my safe space, you know, and allows me to just mindlessly watch and enjoy. And then I feel like just comforted and I'm able to go back to tackling that really hard task that I had before. Absolutely love that. And I always tell the folks here, some of the things that I love to do is just starting for two minutes, right? If you just lower your threshold on what you need to do, right? And just get started. I love the family answer because that's something I call my mom. I'm always just like, I want to hear what's going on. And she's so good at like just talking me down sometimes because I feel like everything needs to be done sometimes that day. And she's like, you know, you're you're 28. You'll be okay. Just keep it, oh keep my it God. going. You're um, fine. You're you know. leap years ahead of like everybody here. You're so good. <laughs> but you know that feeling, right? Like there's people that look at you that way too, right? And you're just like in that moment, in that time, you're just like, you feel the weight of the world. Sharing that is so important. And I know that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Just lastly here, what message, you know, if we haven't gotten it today, what message do you have for the first-gen community and really just our listeners in general that maybe you didn't get to share on this episode? Yeah, so I wish I would have understood sooner than later that the first-gen experience is different. I always knew that I had a harder road, but I didn't know why. You know, when I was in college, first-gen wasn't a term. You know, we had like the term like low-income student. We had that, but we didn't have a first-gen student. And then now that it exists, it's like, that's why it was harder because you're the first one in your family and you don't have that guidance from people that have done it before on how to navigate academia, how to navigate your career, how to navigate money, right? So I think the sooner that you acknowledge that your road is different, the better, because at least for me, that was a big sign that I had to catch up. You know, so instead of being demoralized, which I kind of felt that at first too, like, why do some people have it easier? You know, some people at their parents teach them how to negotiate. I know for a fact, my friend who had her dad write her negotiation email back to the recruiter. My dad on the other end of the spectrum is like, don't negotiate. They might take the job offer away. He doesn't know any better because in the jobs that he had as like a, you know, low income earner, they could take his job away because there's so many applicants, like the Nike example that you gave, right? You're so replaceable. But in corporate America, it's very much expected for you to negotiate, you know, a job offer. So there's a lot of differences like that. So the sooner that you realize that, the better. Once you acknowledge that, I urge you to seek community, you know? So you can seek community through your alma mater. You can seek community through employee resource groups. Those are my favorite because they're people within your same corporate space but that share, you know, either that cultural or ethnic background, right? So I work a lot with like Latino, Latinx employee resource groups, and they're all there. They're all first-gen professionals, and they now have the financial means to invest, but again, they still don't know the how. So you're surrounded by people that have all the same challenges and unlearning these, you know, bad money behaviors or having to provide financial support for family, you know? So it's important to know that our path is different and then to seek community and educate yourself on how to catch up. Well, that's a wonderful place to leave it. 
Gigi, thank you so much. If you want to connect with Gigi, definitely do so at the First Gen Mentor on Instagram and TikTok, as well as all of her links will be linked in the description below. Thank you so much, Gigi. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you for listening to the Unstucked podcast. Visit us at unstucked.com and follow us on TikTok at Unstucked.